0: Grab your copy of God's Word and let's go to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, uh, towards the end of the chapter, beginning in verse 35. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35, as we talk about being and living as the church, this message is near and dear to my heart and I pray that it be near and dear to every heart of, of Jesus' followers Because this is what the Lord wants us to be engaged in. Let's read together. Matthew 9, beginning verse 35. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless. One translation says, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, Jesus talking to them, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for this moment. Thank you for the opportunity to gather around your word. Now I pray in these moments, I would make much of you, and we would have ears that are very sensitive to what the Holy Spirit would say today. I pray, Lord, that you would use us, not just inside the four walls of the church to serve, but also outside of the four walls, Lord, that we would be the church and we would make a difference in our world. We thank you for the opportunity to serve you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I don't know how you grew up or what games you played while growing up. A lot of children play uh, cops and robbers A lot of children play many of the different games. They're pretty common. No matter where you grew up, they're pretty common. But I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase, too saved or too churched. But when I was a kid, we played church. Don't judge me for this. But we played church. Now, I grew up in church, and I grew up in a very expressive Pentecostal environment. And so I... I, uh, I was around church a lot in life. In fact, multiple days a week, typically, in our family, we were in the church. And my cousin, she's two years younger than I am, we're both only children, so we became a lot like brother and sister growing up because we were, number one, only children, and number two, we were the cousins who lived closest together, so we got a chance to play together. Well, we did probably play cops and robbers at some point, but we also played church. Uh, She was the worship leader. And I was the preacher, and I can tell you, my grandmother actually got to be the audience a few times. So you know, take it for what it's worth. But I can tell you that um, we we knew everything about the churches we went to. I, I don't know how many of you grew up like this, but there's always those one or two people in church that you know if they start moving around, that the spirit's up to something. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? We had a lady in church when I was a kid, and I'm not making fun. I'm just telling you, it was the truth. Sister Duckworth, that was her name, Sister Duckworth would get those hands moving in worshiping the Lord. And if she got those hands moving, you knew something was about to happen in service. Don't look at me like I'm crazy this morning. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You know those people that are that if they got to move it and things got to happen, and you knew what was about to happen. Yes, I did grow up in an environment where uh, people moved around quite a bit. It was not uncommon uh, in our church for people to sling bobby pins out of their hair and, and all sorts of stuff. But we would play church, and uh, my cousin would lead the worship, and then I would preach, and typically I would preach the same passage every time we played church. Be glad I don't still do that, right? <laughs> At least he preaches something different occasionally. Uh, but the passage I often preached when we were playing church was for Matthew chapter 9. Because somewhere in my childhood, we had been to a kind of like a, a section meeting of churches. And there was a minister there by the name of Billy Cox. And I remember to this day, can't remember every word he said, can't remember every illustration he used... But I can remember he preached from Matthew chapter 9. And from that day forward, this passage has always stuck in my heart. We've been talking about being the church. In the first week of this series, we talked about being a part of the church as our community. That we do life together. That Christ-centered community adds so much to our lives. We need each other, especially in the days we're living Then we've also talked about serving in and through the local church. We've talked about time and giftings and resources. If you were with us this last Wednesday night in adult Bible study, you know we talked about creating a culture of hospitality. That no matter who comes in to be a part of EPAG and no matter who we're interacting with, we want to be people who show the love of Christ who help help others see Christ, and who help them move about in their journey with the Lord and even their experience in the local church. It seems to me that God has been speaking a recurring theme lately. Now, we serve in teams through the local church. Even right now, there are people serving our children. There are people who have served on the worship team. There are people who are serving to keep our campus secure and so on. We serve at things like Autumn Fest next week. We, we give to it. We give our time to it. We give our resources to it. We believe in that effort of doing life together as a church and then serving together through the local church to make a difference. But ministry, and this was drawn out even last weekend from our guests, Ministry is not just what happens on Sunday or Wednesday or in a special group or on a team or during a special event or even from the platform. Ministry is not just a vocation or a profession. Ministry is not just for those who are credentialed by some fellowship or denomination. Now, yes, there is a special calling to vocational ministry. I certainly believe that that the Lord calls people to serve as their if you want to say it this way career or profession as a leader in the church, the body of Christ. And Ephesians chapter 4 goes far enough to tell us that Jesus gifts his church with the fivefold ministry gifts and beyond. But ministry also describes the action that should be ongoing on the part of Jesus' followers every day. Let me say it this way. We don't cease to be the church for six days and 23 hours a week. We don't live our life in segments. We don't go to church for one hour a week and then live however we want the rest of the week. The the understanding is that we've said yes... To King Jesus. And when we said yes to King Jesus, we said yes to following Him. We said yes to His agenda. We said yes to His kingdom work. Church is not just the place we come to gather and worship. The church is made up of people. And the church is to be active, not just in gathering together. The church, we as the body of Christ are, the Bible says, Christ's representatives to the world. And we should live this way. We should be a people who every day in our lives, we are wanting to inspire other people to follow Jesus. You may have noticed even last weekend, during our fantastic Holy Spirit weekend, how many of you enjoyed last weekend? Wasn't it great? Wonderful time together. Our recent focus on spirit baptism during Holy Spirit weekend was not just to focus on the spiritual gifts or the prayer language or the intercession language or speaking in tongue. tongues. Our recent focus was about power. Because the power experienced in spirit baptism and the ongoing empowerment of the Spirit in our lives is for the explicit purpose of being a witness for Jesus. Look at this verse of Scripture, Acts 1-8. You will receive power, say it with me, power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be what? You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So at home, in your region, in your nation, around the world. You will receive power and that power will enable you to be my witnesses. If you were here last weekend, you heard Tim Enlow talk about the donuts. How many people like donuts? Now, y'all are a little less expressive on that than the truth today. Come on. How many people like donuts? All right. Now we have some honesty in the room. He talked about how when we are saved, our life is like a donut in that we're filled inwardly with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But then there's this work that God wants to do in our lives to dunk us or immerse us in that chocolate frosting. Hallelujah. If you don't like a chocolate frosting donut, well, anyway... When we're dunked that way, if you've ever, he talked about, if you've ever bought a box of donuts, those that are completely immersed in that frosting or that icing, they typically connect with other donuts and the box, and they leave that icing all over different places. In fact, I'm very careful when I take a donut out of the box, because I want every bite of icing that I can get. When I pulled that yo-yo donut out of the box this morning, don't judge me. When I pulled that donut out, I want every bit of that maple icing I can get with that piece of bacon slathered on top. Didn't I just felt the spirit? Hallelujah. (laughs) The point being, when we are immersed in the Holy Spirit, when we are clothed with power from on high, when we are, if we can say it this way, dunked in the power of the Spirit, that work of God gets over all over other things in our life, other people, other situations. That's the desire. God's desire is for ministry to flow through us every day. That's why every morning, I would suggest to us today that every morning we should pray, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to talk to? What do you want me to say? How can I honor you? How can I obey you? And at the same time, how can I help other people follow Jesus? And as we experience this work of the Holy Spirit, we're empowered when we're praying like that in our daily lives. Because how many will be honest with me? It's easy for us to wake up in the mornings and think more about what we've got to get done that day. Can we be honest? I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes I go to sleep with the to-do list, and I wake up with the to-do list, right? Yeah. And unfortunately, I didn't get anything done in my sleep, so it's still the same the next morning as it was the night before. I mean, really. But, but if we can get to this place where we're seeking the Lord, what happened last weekend in so many of our lives shouldn't just be a special weekend. As we seek the Lord, the Holy Spirit empowers us, continues to clothe us and immerse us in that power. And then we are every day saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to talk to? How do you want me to honor you and obey you and help inspire other people to follow Jesus? We're yielding to God. And then simply throughout the day, we're being obedient to whatever He tells us to do. Tim used the word nudge. Some people might use the word prompting. But this idea that through the day, as we grow in the Lord, as we walk in ongoing relationship with the Lord, we become more and more sensitive to this prompting or this nudge from the Holy Spirit. So we could be in the middle of a grocery store, not knowing the person down the aisle from us, and the Holy Spirit could prompt or nudge us to go and talk to that person. How can we grow to be sensitive in that? Well, we're seeking the Lord, we're empowered by the Spirit, and every day we're yielding and saying, God, how do you want to use me? What do you want to do through me? How can I be used of you? Let's look at our text in Matthew chapter 9. First of all, I want you to look at the model of Jesus. Here's what Jesus did in his earthly ministry, and I believe it's a good example for how we should interact in our lives. The model of Jesus. First of all, in Matthew 9, Jesus traveled. Jesus would often go into a place, teach, speak to them, heal the sick, and then he would go on to another place. Now, there were a few occasions where he'd stay more than briefly, but there were many times where he continued to move. And I believe there's scriptural evidence That the reason Jesus did that is he wanted to talk to and teach as many people as he could. He wanted to spread that truth. He wanted to show people his miracles. He wanted that truth to get into people's lives. Now, you and I may not travel to foreign countries every week, every month, or even every year. But we should be people who are traveling into our circles of life. We all have connection points. We all have circles that we're all a part of. Our family, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, and even the strangers or people that we come in contact with. We should be going into our circles of life, and even though we may not go to other places, we should be an intentional, aggressive part of sending other people around the globe. Someone once said, you either go... Or you sinned or you disobey. I would say you go and you sinned or you disobey. Now, Jesus also taught. He spoke the truth. He told people the only way to life. He drew people to, to God the Father. He was a representation of God the Father to the people who were in front of him. And in this day and time, you and I need to be convinced of the truth. And we need to represent Christ and represent the gospel, the heart of God and the work of God and the way He changes lives aggressively and intentionally in our lives. You know, if nothing else, as a Christ follower, we should be convinced of the truth and we should be able to tell people, Jesus has made a difference in our lives. Has Jesus made a difference in any of your lives today? Come on. Ha- has he changed your life? Has he led you on this journey? Has he been the friend that sticks closer than a brother? Jesus, when you encounter Jesus, not just once, but even an ongoing relationship, Jesus changes lives. We should be telling people those things. Jesus healed. Oftentimes in Jesus' ministry, Jesus set people free. Now we, as Tim mentioned last week, when it comes to spiritual gifts, we're not in some possession of this gift to be able to go around and say, well, I heal people, because that's not true. The reality is, if someone is healed, if a miracle takes place, if things are going on through our lives, we're simply, do you remember what Tim talked about? We're simply the conduit. We're, we're the mail carrier, right? God is working through us, and we're giving to someone else what God wants to get to them. It was a beautiful illustration. If you missed it, you can listen to everything from last weekend on our podcast, online, or on the app. But Jesus healed people, and today, He actually wants to continue to do miracles in people's lives. Okay, thank you for the three people that agree with me today. Jesus actually, in fact, you know how much Jesus wants to do miracles? He actually said to the disciples before he ascended back to heaven, greater works will you do. Wow. Man, I'm amazed when I read the works of Jesus in His earthly ministry. I'm amazed at the miracles He did. I've been reading through the Gospel of John recently. and the Gospel of John, a lot of it is the miracles of Jesus and how the, the miraculous work was proving who Jesus was. And, and then I read, greater works will you do by the power of the Holy Spirit? And even the Word of God promises that if we are proclaiming truth, there will be signs and wonders that follow. When you study the early church in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that they committed themselves or devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to breaking of bread and to prayer... And then it goes on to say that there were signs and wonders and miracles taking place among them. Why? They were committed to walking with the Lord. They were committed to the truth. They were proclaiming the truth. And the Holy Spirit was showing that sign of the presence of God among them by doing the miraculous. Confirming His Word. I would just suggest to you today, now is not the time for us to neglect spiritual gifts. Now is not the time for us to shy away from the work of the Holy Spirit because the work that people need in their lives is not going to be done in mere human power. If we're going to see people set free, if we're going to see addictions broken, if we're going to see people healed in their hearts, if we're going to see lives changed, it's going to take the power of God. I love to preach. I love to communicate. You know this by now. But I can promise you, the greater work is not me communicating. It's when the Holy Spirit reaches in and touches someone's life. God still breaks change. God still sets the captive free. God's still able to heal the brokenhearted. If we want to see anyone in our life changed by the power of God, it's going to take the power of God. We cannot do it on our own. It won't happen. Is it okay for me to preach a little bit? Is that all right this morning? Someone said to me recently, you must be getting more comfortable in the pulpit here. You seem to be more excited lately. I'm just passionate about what the Lord is saying to us. It's the doughnuts, yeah. (laughs) It might be the cup of coffee with it. This is not the the time for us to neglect spiritual gifts. This is not the time to push the work of the Holy Spirit aside. Now, we shouldn't go to the other end of the extreme either. We shouldn't be weird and wonky. But at the same time, we should be balanced in our lives believing that the work of the Holy Spirit can be just as real in this moment in our lives as He's ever been. And we should want Him to work through us because if we're going to do anything of magnitude, if we're going to make any eternal difference... It's the power of God that sets people free. It's a work we cannot do on our own. Then notice one more thing. Jesus, in his travels, and his teaching, and in his healing, the Bible says in Matthew 9 that Jesus, and it's not the only place the Scriptures talk about this, but the Bible says in Matthew 9 that Jesus was moved with compassion. Compassion. He looked around and he saw people... With great need. And it wasn't just that he was sympathetic. Oh, poor pitiful you. It was that he was moved inwardly. If you study what it means to truly be compassionate, it's that you are, you're inwardly moved to the point that you've got to take action to do something about it. I am convinced that when Jesus went through Samaria to meet the woman at the well... It wasn't because he had to go that way. It was because he knew there was an encounter on the other side of the trip. He was moved with compassion. When he fed the 5,000 people, one of probably the most well-known miracles of Jesus, when he did it, why? Because he was moved with compassion. Go read it for yourself. He was moved with compassion for people who had been listening to his teaching and were hungry. And when the disciples were, were willing to send crowds away, Jesus was the one who was saying, let's do something to help them. Jesus was moved with compassion. And I am convinced today that until we're motivated by the compassion found in the heart of God towards people, we will sit back and do nothing... We will expect others to do the work and we will only point fingers to the problems in our world. Until we're moved with compassion, until we as Jesus followers get the heart of Jesus in us, until we're walking with Him and remaining in Him to a point that our hearts are synchronizing with His, that our heart, our desires, our thoughts become like His, until that point we won't do anything. There are a lot of people today that can point out the problems of the world. There are a lot of people today that can identify what's wrong, what's going on, all the symptoms of the sinful world that we live in. But it's not enough for us just to identify it. God wants us to do something about it. We need to be a people who are moved with compassion because when we're moved with compassion, we will be motivated by the heart of God. We will be compelled to act. I don't think it's by accident that that description of the heart of God is found in Matthew 9 and other places in the Gospels. God wants us to be moved with compassion for people. Can I just pause for a moment and say if you have an honest conversation with yourself and with the Holy Spirit today and you can recognize that perhaps there's some bias prejudice Assumptions, stereotypes, if you can search your heart honestly today and begin to recognize, you know what, I have a, I have an, a lean towards certain people more than others or I make certain assumptions about certain people or I, I instantly think certain things when I see certain types of people. I, I instantly make judgments based on what I see on the outside. If today you're honest and you can identify, you know what, that there may be some, some issues in my heart towards certain people, today would be a moment for you to say, Holy Spirit, make me more like Jesus. That when I see people, no matter what I see in the natural, I can see through the eyes of the Lord and the eyes of faith to believe that God can change lives. That rather than making judgments, that rather than making stereotypical assumptions, rather than having bias and prejudice, and and maybe you've grown up. I, I know a lot of people, their struggles in the way they view people connects back to what's been ingrained in them for decades. But if you can come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm recognizing in my heart I have certain thoughts. I have certain, certain things that I think about and, and certain ways I respond with certain types of people. If you can come to that place of being honest and identifying that and saying, Lord, change me. You can come to a place where no matter what you used to think, you now see that it's a soul that matters to God. We've got to be moved with compassion. Now let's look real quick, Matthew chapter 9, at the assessment from Jesus. We've seen the model of Jesus. Now look, let's look at his assessment. In verse 37a, he he says, the harvest is great. The need is great. I, I would suggest to you today, and I've had some conversations recently that I think I think kind of play into this some. I'm not naive. I don't think for a moment that, that we're going to be able to, to see that every person of the seven billion plus on the planet are saved. I understand what Scripture teaches about the last days. I understand the spiritual great falling away. I understand uh, that there are those who reject Christ. I understand the Scriptures that talk about throwing pearls to the swine and how the, the soil is not always ready for the seed of truth to be planted. I get all of that. But rather than us saying, there may be some who we can't reach or some who don't respond. Let's be attentive to the Holy Spirit to help reach those who the Lord knows are ready to receive the truth. We may not reach everyone But there are many, and some of them may not be the people you would think, but there are many people who are ready and who need to hear the gospel message. There are many people who the Holy Spirit has been working from the other side of the conversation to convict and to convince people of their need for Jesus, and now the Holy Spirit wants to bring you across their path to speak truth to them right where they need to hear it. We may not reach everyone, but there are a lot of people who are ready. The illustration, if you can picture a full field ripe with harvest, ready to whatever crop it is, you can visually see that the crop is ready. There's been growth, there's life, and it's ready to be picked. It's ready to be, to be collected. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying it's ripe, it's ready. Do something about it. And here's what he goes on to say. The harvest is great, but the second part of verse 37, but the workers are few. The harvest is so ready and the the need is so great in our world that this isn't just a job for one or for a few. Even Jesus, at the time of this passage, He's going to be ascending back to heaven within a short time in the grand scheme of eternity. Jesus would leave His followers, the people of the way, as the book of Acts calls them, us, to be full of compassion, aware of the need, and to do the work of traveling, teaching, healing by the power of the Holy Spirit. The responsibility now rests solely on us to be yielded to the Holy Spirit. Here's here's the saddest thought to me when I read this passage. The saddest thought to me is that there's plenty of work to be done, but there aren't enough people doing the work. To think about a harvest being ready, it's time to collect those who are ready to hear the gospel and ready to respond, and yet there are people who aren't doing anything about it. You can imagine a farmer who doesn't go out and collect the harvest. It goes to waste. Here's the saddest thing. There's plenty of work to be done, but there aren't enough people doing the work. LifeWay Research has conducted some studies, and these are more recent. And let me just show you this. LifeWay reports that most unchurched Americans say they have multiple Christian friends, but those friends haven't shared with them how or why they should follow Christ. Lifeway also reports that the unchurched say they're open to having religious conversations. Close to half of unchurched Americans, 47%, say they would discuss freely if someone wanted to talk about their religious beliefs. The study goes on to find that close in close to two in three unchurched Americans say they have multiple Christian friends they interact with regularly. So, So here's the point. Most of the unchurched Americans are saying they have Christian friends. Most of the unchurched Americans are saying they're willing to have some conversations about religion, at least in their mind, religion, or following Jesus, or how to be a Christian, or why they should be a Christian. They're open to having these conversations. But many of them have reported that no one has ever actually had the conversation. Notice this. Only 3 in 10 unchurched Americans, 29%, say a Christian has ever shared with them one-on-one how a person becomes a Christian. Only slightly more say a Christian has told them about the benefits of participating in a local church or the benefits of becoming a Christian. What is it that keeps... Jesus followers from engaging the world around them. Is it possible that there are people who need Jesus right in front of us every day of our lives and yet we're not we're not responding in some way. What is it that keeps that from happening? Is it assumption? Well, I just don't think people want to really talk about this. Well, these studies are saying the exact opposite. They're willing to have, at least open to having, a conversation. So we, maybe we shouldn't make as many assumptions. Is it fear and rejection? Well, what do I say? What if I get into a conversation and someone asks me something I don't know the answer to? What if they reject me altogether? Maybe it's busyness. Busyness. I'm focused on my to-do list, I've got to get A, B, C, and D done, and I don't have time to stop to interact with people. Maybe it's something else. Barna Research, which is also well known for doing different studies within the body of Christ, within local churches. Barna Research reports that people are becoming more and more convinced, listen to this closely, people are becoming more and more convinced that it's the local church's job To convert people to Christianity. Rather than every Jesus follower having the responsibility to share his or her faith. Now I want to make sure you understand what I just said. The studies are showing that people are expecting the preacher... The pastor, the communication from the platform, the work of the local church to do the work of helping people get saved, and that no longer is it as great of a responsibility for the individual believer. Christians in America today, this is a quote from Barna Research, Christians in America today have to live in the tension between Jesus' commands to tell others the good news... And the growing cultural taboos against proselytizing. We've got to live in the tension of this is what Jesus said we should be doing. Versus how the world could respond to what we're doing. Well, you shouldn't talk to people about that. That's private. Their religious beliefs are their own business. You, what's true for you isn't true for me kind of fits into this whole conversation too because that's, that's the point a lot of people use to say, well, just because you follow Jesus doesn't mean that's right for me. And now we're living in this tension where I would go far enough to say there's a growing opposition to the gospel in some respect. And so we're living in this tension of what did Jesus tell us to do versus how could the world respond. And I'm afraid today that sometimes how the world could potentially respond is actually what's hindering us from doing what Jesus told us to do. Here's what we have to acknowledge today. And and maybe we even go far enough to say, "Here's here's why we should be repenting of this. Here's what we know. Jesus said it. There's much work to be done, but the workforce is absent or inactive. It's almost as if Jesus' followers have quietly quit their roles of representing and representing Jesus. How do we respond? Jesus gave us the answer. Notice verse 38a, this is our response as Jesus followers. How do we respond to this reality? Verse 38, he says, Pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest, ask him to send more workers into his fields. How should we pray? Well, let me suggest we should pray for awareness, we should pray for compassion. We should pray for spirit empowerment. I would go far enough to say that sometimes in the body of Christ today, there's a correlation between the fear and the hesitancy of talking about Jesus and the lack of spiritual empowerment through the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Let me say it a different way. It's no surprise to me that there may be believers today who are not sharing their faith and not walking in boldness to do that and not interacting with people because they've never experienced the empowerment that Jesus has for them. We should be praying for the lost. Whether we know those who are lost or whether we don't know all of those who are lost, we should be praying for them. And Jesus said we should be asking for more workers. Now, in the Assemblies of God, there's a big, big encouragement right now to send workers into places that are strongly. Buddhist and Hindu religions. There's just a a sense among our fellowship that there are certain places in the world especially that we really need to have more workers. And it's certainly appropriate that we should pray for ministers and missionaries and people around the nation and around the world who will step up and serve in those ways. But we should also be praying that Jesus followers, every Jesus follower, would engage in fulfilling the Great Commission. It's not wrong to pray, Lord, raise up more leaders in the church. It's not wrong to pray, Lord, raise up missionaries and ministers and pastors and teachers and evangelists and all of those things. Not wrong to pray that, but we should also be praying, Lord, raise up the Jesus followers to do what we should do. And don't be surprised when we pray this way that God brings awareness of opportunities to us in in our lives to minister and to bring in the harvest as well. In fact, in Matthew chapter 9, I want you to notice one final correlation. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus brought awareness to the disciples about the abundant harvest and the lack of workers. When you get to the very next chapter, Matthew chapter 10, what does Jesus do? He sends out the disciples to minister in His name. There's an abundant harvest. There's a lack of workers. And Jesus today is wanting to empower us to go and to do His work outside the four walls of the church. Now, we want to be a healthy local church the way Jesus intends. And there's a lot to talk about when you talk about what a healthy local church should be. But I can tell you this. A healthy local church is not merely marked by buildings and bank accounts or nickels and noses. A healthy church is marked by Jesus' followers inspiring other people to follow Jesus. I'll say it one more time. A healthy church, we the people, are marked by Jesus' followers inspiring other people to follow Jesus. And I would wonder, can we say today we're truly followers of Jesus or disciples of Jesus if we're not then taking the Great Commission to heart and making disciples In our lives. I'm going to ask you today. If you're in the room. Would you stand with me? If you're online. I'd love for you to take a few moments. To respond as well. And I'm going to ask you to close your eyes today. And it's no religious exercise. It's not because it's a pattern. It's just simply. I want you to be able to focus on. Our response together. I want us to do what Jesus told us to do today. We acknowledge there's need. We acknowledge that that even as a nation we're growing to be, maybe already are perhaps the most biblically illiterate generation. We recognize that what was once deemed a Christian nation, we're in a place where uh, there are a lot of people who have never had any engagement with God, never had any engagement with the Bible, never had any engagement with the local church we're recognizing today hopefully that there is a great need in our world. It's not just everywhere else, it's not just the foreign countries, it's not just the the east coast and the west coast, it's right here. Right here. And and in fact, I would say even further, the Lord has brought the nations to our front doorstep. And if we can get this, if we can be active Jesus' followers who are truly living the way He wants us to live and engaging in the Great Commission to help others follow Jesus, God could do some incredible things right here. Right here. Not only would it affect right here, but I'm convinced that what God is doing right now in this area, it could infect the rest of the world because of people that have come from all over. So I want us to pray today. Would you... Would you engage in prayer with me in this moment? Would you maybe bow your head and, and again, eyes closed so that you can pay attention to the Lord in this moment? But can we start today by doing what Jesus asked us to do, to pray? I'm going to lead us, but I want to ask you to pray with me today. Lord, if we have neglected our responsibility if we have been attentive to our own needs and attentive to our own things that we need to accomplish, if we've been fearful, if we've been concerned that we'd be rejected, if we've been alarmed that people would ask us questions we don't know the answers to. If there's anything that's kept us, Lord, from, from doing your work, of, of recognizing that you changed lives, and if you've changed our lives, you can change the lives of others. Lord, if we have neglected the opportunity to spread your name, we repent of that today. We're not just saying we're sorry. We're saying, Lord, we turn away from living a life that is so tunnel visioned that we're not attentive to the people around us. Lord, we want you to open our eyes. May there be awareness in us today. That the people we interact with, the people that we work with, the people in our families, and our friends' circles, the people in our neighborhoods, even the strangers that we may not know, Lord, you know every one of them. You created every one of them. And Lord, we pray there be an awareness in our hearts and an openness to our eyes to see what's around us. And God, that we wouldn't just see the need and walk by. We wouldn't just see the need and keep going. But Lord, we would be in our hearts just like Jesus, moved with compassion. We would see the need and there would be a prompting and a nudging of the Holy Spirit. There would be an awareness in our lives of what you've spoken to us. And Lord, we would take action to help others know what you can do in their lives. And to help others see that you're the only way to salvation and eternal life. To help people know the gospel. God, I pray our hearts would synchronize with yours. That we'd be moved with compassion. That it would break our hearts, Lord. That anyone would not know you. I pray for spirit empowerment today. That each and every one of your followers would, would be hungry for more of you, would recognize that your empowerment helps us to accomplish what you want us to do. And I pray, oh God, we would seek you. We would be a people who want more of you, not less. We would be a people who lean in, not lean out. And today, God, we would ask for your empowerment. Even now, Lord, people would open themselves up and would make themselves available to say, Lord, if you have power for me, I want to experience that power. I want to know you more, but I also want to be empowered to reach the world around me. Lord, would you do a work? Would you empower your people just as you promised? And Lord, today we pray for workers in the harvest. That there be ministers and missionaries, the people that would be called to serve you in those, if we can say, vocational capacities. There would be people who would give their lives, Lord, for your service. That they would be willing to say yes, even if they don't have all the answers. Even if they don't know how everything's going to flow together, Lord, they would just be willing to say yes. And that, Lord, while we're praying for others, we would also, Lord, become more sensitive to the work ourselves. That more and more Jesus followers will engage in your work. God, if there be things, reasons, excuses, hurdles that are holding us back, help us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. I pray, oh God, that we would see, even in this area, the opportunity to seize the harvest that is ready, that is plenteous, that is abundant. And we would be workers who say yes. Yes. encourage you today that you can remain in this room, remain online with us, uh, or maybe find a place wherever you are online and you can continue to pray in this moment. Maybe you recognize something in these moments around the word that's, that there's something that's speaking directly to your life. So I encourage you to respond to that. I encourage you to pray specifically for people you know who are lost in your life, that, that they don't know Jesus. Pray specifically that God would use you Pray the prayers we talked about earlier. Lord, what would you have me do? What would you have me say? How can I be obedient to you? Pray for empowerment and compassion and awareness. I want to ask our prayer partners to come today. If you're here and and you're serving on our prayer team, there may be other needs today as well. I recognize that you could have come into this room today and, and... you're you're glad to hear the message, you're hearing the message, you're wanting to respond, but there's also something that's really bothering you, really weighing you down, you're really struggling. There are people who will pray with you today. There are people who will pray with you today to receive a greater empowerment of the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's respond today and take the opportunity to pray and see God. I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over you, and then I encourage you to respond how you need to today these altars are open for you to spend time with jesus father i pray today that you bless and keep this people that you make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them i pray your countenance your favor ever be turned in their direction and grant them your peace i pray that we would not just hear the word today but we would respond and be doers of the word by the Spirit's empowerment, we would be compassionate and aware, and we even today, even this week, would have opportunity, and we would be obedient to that prompting, that nudge of the Holy Spirit. We would have awareness of what's and who's around us, and we would follow you. And Lord, we would help other people follow you too. Thank you, Lord, for using us to make a difference in this world, in Jesus' name.